Getting your weekend started right. The Jet Set Breakfast. 7.35, you are with the JSB. I'm Michelle Constant. And uh, we've been trying to keep ourselves updated on the processes, the way forward, what we can learn from the COVID uh, pandemic. And so we tried to get different doctors on to talk about it. On the line, we have Dr. Sankla Razani. We've had him on the show before, South African physician. He works in Manchester in the UK. And we thought we'd like to get him in, not just to talk about uh, what's going on here in South Africa, but certainly what we've seen going on in the UK as well. Dr. Razani, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Michelle. Thank you. And good morning to your listeners. So what's the weather like there? I'll tell you here, it's about two degrees. This has been the hottest we've had in a while. I think yesterday, the other day, it was 32 degrees. And now we're appreciating it being overcast. I think there were thunderstorms last night or the day before. Well, we wish you the very best with those. So, Dr. Razani, one of the questions that uh, we're all interested in, and I know that there is research that's coming out in the UK on this as well, is that um, the the second Pfizer jab, some people are saying you do it um, four weeks after. Some people are saying that actually it's better to do it six weeks after. What is the general consensus on this? Now, that decision was arbitrarily taken early on in the campaign here based on availability. Yeah. Because Pfizer had their own schedule. Yeah. But because stock was at a premium at the time, Boris decided he's going to extend it. Yes. So that he gets as many people getting the first shot as possible. Okay. And with the results that were coming out of Israel and all the studies at the time, it was thought this is good. Yeah. Because you're protecting more people with some partial protection and getting more people on board and then getting the second doses when the stocks, stock supplies become available. But as the pandemic continued, new information came in and the stocks became available. Now the critical, the stock levels are critical. Stock became available. It shifted back to eight weeks. Okay. Back to four weeks. Yeah. So, so, it, it it was based on that, but at the moment there has been some mobile buses being stationed in different areas, calling on eighteen-year-olds to get their shots, and the range back to what Pfizer had predetermined. And then there, when Minister Mkiza was announcing it, I think one of his last addresses, yeah, he had said they're going to try and use the UK model as well. Okay. So, that so, they, so okay, go is it is it four or is it eight? Four weeks. Four weeks. So stick to four weeks is what uh, what we're trying to understand. That's and that's the way to go. It, it, it's fluid, as I said initially, yeah. it was increased. Yeah. Okay. And this, and what came out from there was that that was the right way to do. What Boris did was the right thing to do, because yeah. he was getting more people vaccinated. But let me let me try it this way, Michelle. If you look at the figures that came out from here, UK, yeah. on Delta, yeah, it was said that you're getting 
about 94% yeah. on the first dose. So logically, you think that you'd get as many people on the first dose as possible because the second dose will then take you to 95 on yeah, five. sure. So it all, I, I think we should be fair to the scientists here that you assess the information that's available at the time. Okay. And you react to what is happening at the time. And that's one of the things we need to learn about this condition. I keep saying it's new. So yeah. we're learning on the job. So we, so some people will come up with one thing depending on the data they have at the time. Yeah. So we shouldn't be making things to be set in stone. Sure, sure. Dr. Rizani, we've had a couple of people asking the question, one in front of me right now, Meg from Kberg, is saying, could you talk to us about um, the fact that there have been some deaths after vaccination? Apparently it was on the news bulletin. I missed it. But could you talk about that um, with regards to, I'm sure, some people's concerns? Now, very difficult topic, Michelle. Very difficult. Because when you hear, when you're talking about a specific case, you want to know the age, you want to know the comorbidities, you want to know what symptoms were present at the time, yeah. what other medication was being taken, is an autopsy being done, what is the cause of death. Yeah. And with some cases, that becomes very difficult because the information is scarce. And... It is a tragic thing for any death to occur. So it becomes very difficult to postulate as to what has happened. But the linkage between these deaths and taking the vaccine is out there. And I think that is not right. There needs to be time to go through all of them to determine exactly what happened and the causation and the link be established fully. So I've had this in the snippets that X number of deaths linked. But I'm going to be weary in delving into something I have no information about. Yeah. Because you don't know how many days after the vaccine. What was the status of the pay of the of the person being vaccinated in terms of did they have a COVID because there's no COVID test that happens before you get a vaccination. So were they in the incubation period? Yeah. Did they actually succumb to COVID? Was a COVID tester? So all of those facts are not available. I know people want answers to this question, but it is very difficult to engage in it without the relevant information. So you're but saying that until I can say. So so just to jump in, what you are saying is that until the that it is not causal and until that is um, absolutely measured and seen, can it then be noted as causal? Yes. And the, the, there hasn't been any during the trials. Yeah. So these pharmaceutical companies, if there is one that is confirmed, remember when there was the issue about blood clots? Yeah. With AstraZeneca and J&J. The J&J pro- program was suspended. Yeah, and they looked into it. So they do. All these authorities will delve into this information. They'll look at everything. 
yeah. to make sure that what is happening is safe. Dr. Rizani, we've got a question from SIG asking, how long after COVID do patients regain their sense of smell and taste? And I think it's kind of an interesting one because it does talk about that long tail of COVID as well. So I wonder if you could split it up into two answers. One, um, the regaining of sense of smell and taste, but also the long tail of COVID as well. Now, that unfortunately is patient-specific. Yeah. Some people will regain their senses within the 10, 14 days. Yeah. And as you've alluded to, there is that phenomenon called long COVID. Long COVID being you you continue having the symptoms for three, six, in some cases, even over a year. Yeah. That is those symptoms that you had with COVID will will continue. And some some have been very debilitating and people haven't been able to get back to work and needing intensive rehab. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Razani, um, how soon after you... Wait, let me get this question right. Um, oh, here we go. How soon after COVID should, can one take the vaccination? Now, there is a website from NICD, yeah. uh, National Department of Health, as well, that is the, the frequently asked questions. Yeah. Now, on that one, it's 30 days. Yeah. With RCA, it's 28 days, but that's six, six, uh, that's more or less the same thing. Yeah. But the reason for that is that there's, there's, I think there's one country that has said they'd rather not give it to people who've had COVID because they've got immunity already. But the rationale is that you have to take it even if you've had COVID because it will protect you more as well. Yeah. Okay. And and I think that and that takes us brilliantly to another question that comes from one of our listeners asking, um, can you get COVID after you have been vaccinated the first time or the second time? We have been saying this since the talk of vaccines came to being. When you are vaccinated, where either first dose or second dose, which is fully vaccinated, you will get infected. Yeah. That that needs to be very clear. But when I did say it once, when, when, when we started our campaign, there was a PhD fellow who corrected me and told me that it was antibodies that I was talking about. Yeah. But it's clear that people are not understanding this concept. The vaccine is not a cure. Yeah. It will prevent you from having severe disease, hospitalization, and death. That is what it's supposed to do. So you might get the symptoms a little bit and have to stay in bed for a while. Exactly. And as you've seen with the healthcare workers that have been on the J&J vaccine that have reported to the Sasonke program. Yeah. That... The, and people are quite happy that they have had the vaccine because they've had mild disease and they've not needed hospitalization and they've not needed to be ventilated and they've not succumbed to the disease. And I always use an example, depending on the area that you're in, I'll use the Eastern Cape for this one. There is a TB hospital called Mbiluin in Gabech. Yeah. There is one called Sanda in Mtata. Those are TB hospitals in 2021 that are still functioning yeah and the pcg has been there for years so the vaccines are there to prevent 
you being ill and dying of the disease. That's what that's what the intended purpose is. It is not a cure. There is no cure for COVID. Anyone who offers you a tablet that's going to cure COVID ain't going to happen. Yeah. Okay, we have to go to a break, but I have got a question here from Luke and Miyeni from Attridgeville saying, um, please ask the doctor, if a person is HIV positive, can he or she take the vaccine? We'll go to a break, and when we come back, we'll uh, get that answer from you. And don't forget, if you have got any questions from the doctor, now's the time to SMS us on 41391, 41391 or you can WhatsApp us on 614 Getting your weekend started right. The Jet Set Breakfast. We're chatting to Dr. Sankar Razani, South African physician who works in Manchester in the UK, getting a slightly different approach to COVID. We know what it's like here, but also giving us some insights globally as well. Dr. Razani, we um, did get that question from Luke and Miyeni saying, um, can a person, what about a person who is HIV positive, can he or she take the vaccine? Thank you again, Michelle. Let me just digress a bit. Well, I think we did this in the beginning. Physician as in doctor, not the specialist physician in internal medicine. Okay. So that there's no ambiguity there. Yes. Now, let me address this HIV question like this. We take HIV as a comorbidity, not specifically as HIV the condition. We are saying if you have comorbidities, that is any disease, that condition that you are living with, that you're taking medication for, you are more likely to be severely affected by COVID. That's what we've seen in the beginning. So these vaccines are necessary and should be taken by that particular group, which is why we've been trying to push the health and DOH to prioritize people with comorbidities because they are more at risk. So we know that, for example, um, Lesejo Semenya, who we played an interview with last week, um, passed away because he had comorbidities. He was only 39, which does uh, raise uh, questions around, surely people who have comorbidities should be vaccinated no matter what their age, first and foremost. This is what has been happening here, and I think... That's in the UK. Yeah, in the UK and in Moscow. That's what's been happening. Because you'll find... The majority of, in fact, in every age sphere, there will be people with living comorbidities. But if you do the age and go down in, in descending order of age, but include people with comorbidities, you're covering more of the people at risk because you've got the older generation and the people with comorbidities covered yeah. at the same time. But you've got to be alive to the constraints of the government and the availability of the vaccine. Yeah. But they have decided to go the cohort way, going for people who have written letters and applied and put pressure, and then they get allowed, and then you get the next group saying, what about us, what about us? Yeah. It becomes a problem. But if you do it age and comorbidities, you're covering a greater area. And I must say, we, we, we do have to celebrate, um, you know, that we hit 6 million vaccinations um, yesterday or the day before. I mean, one has to actually congratulate the acting minister for that because it does mean that we are starting to really action on those vaccinations. Now, we can congratulate the acting minister, but the national breadwinners own that. Yeah. So let's not take it away from them. No, let's don't. Once it gets (laughs) opened, 
the national breadwinners is gone. Yeah. They don't play. Now, Michelle, let me just digress a little bit. What so, makes you think, what makes I you, hey, I'm going to challenge, I'm going to challenge you on that. I mean, you are, are you going to tell me that the national breadwinners are only the 35 to 49 year olds? There are plenty of breadwinners from 49 to 60. There are also national breadwinners. Did they increase the number? <laughs> the the Got national breadwinners. Got to push back. Yes. No, Wait, before, sure. before you go to your next thing, I just want to ask you a question that has come through quickly and then we go back to you. Mm-hmm. Lynn um, is saying, if you suffer very severely from allergies and you have to take adrenaline, so for example, like bee stings, would you need to have adrenaline on hand when you have your vaccination? Very good question. Now, oh. you are coming to my digression now. Ah. Very good question. <clears throat> now, that's, that's anaphylaxis. Yeah. It is one of the few in fact it's the only one where the vaccine then i don't want to say it becomes contraindicated that you don't need to need it but then abuse it but i know a, a friend of mine who's a nurse who had to motivate and write letters and sign indemnities because she's allergic and she uses an epipen which is exactly what you're asking before she can be given the, the the vaccine because she was working in ICU and dealing with COVID patients. Mm. So she did her own risk assessment, risk benefit assessment and said, I know I've got this. I know I need an EpiPen, but I want the vaccine. But in most cases, they even say, if you've had anaphylaxis with your first dose, don't get the second one. So, 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 so let's just, so, so for Lynn, if Lynn is, are you saying to Lynn, that unless she has the adrenaline injection, she shouldn't get the second dose? It usually says in the question, Yeah. I, do you have allergies and use an EpiPen? Yeah. Because allergies range. There's a range of allergies. Yeah. But if you are at a point where you need an EpiPen, that's where you can able to gauge the severity. Yeah. So if you're allergic to penicillin, that's not usually a contraindication for you to getting the vaccine. But if if it hasn't caused you anaphylaxis. Okay. Anaphylaxis being the serious allergic reaction where you get your throat swelling, your tongue swelling, needing to be resuscitated. Yeah. As an emergency. Now, let's stay there for a while, Michelle, and deal with vaccine-induced thrombocytopenia, which is where you're getting the clots. Not the normal clots you get from deep vein thrombosis as a side effect of the oral contraceptive pill and being on a long flight. This one is where your platelets decrease. Yeah. But when your platelets are decreasing, you'd expect you to be bleeding. But in this case, you develop blood clots in the central venous system and in the splanchnic veins. That is, there's a vein supply in the stomach where you'll have severe abdominal pain or headaches, seizures. So that is one. And that has been a rare condition that has been picked up with these vaccines. And that's happening in three cases per million doses. That one. And then you've got the myocarditis, which has recently been found. That is inflammation around the heart. These are the extremely rare ones. Yeah. No, not, not the normal that you get the, sorry, so, so during, during the five, five, ten minutes that we have yeah. to wait around 
in the vaccination center because the ones that you usually get are the sore arm and injection sites. Yeah. To me, that's not a side effect. That's just pain after injection. Yeah. And then tiredness, headache, yeah. achy, feeling sick, and all of this. Those, those are the normal side effects, which is why at the vaccination center, you sit for 15 minutes while you're being, so while you're being observed. But the yellow fever vaccine yeah. also causes something called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Well, that's which has been picked up okay, that's, in we, the... I want, to, I want to, because I've got a, a message from Warren asking about that exact thing, saying, Morning, Michelle, my sister in the UK has Guillain-Barre syndrome. And because of that, she's been told she cannot have the vaccine as they do not know how it will mix with her medication. Is this not a comorbidity? Now, the reason given is problematic in that it, it, it will might not mix with the medication. The question then comes back, what medication is she on? Yeah. Because with Guillain-Barre, it's one of those rare side effects that are being mentioned with COVID vaccines. But the reason I'm bringing in yellow fever is because if you look at the side effects of vaccines in general, you tend to separate COVID from the other vaccines. Vaccines in general will have stomach upset, drowsiness, muscle pains, body aches, all the things that the COVID vaccine is having, diphtheria, polio, tetanus, yellow yeah, fever. Have you'll get all those, well. yeah. And Guillain-Barre is also in yellow fever as a side effect. But Guillain-Barre is usually similar to, it's a disease of the central nervous system. Yeah. That, that causes the immune system damages your nerve cells and it can last for weeks to months and sometimes it can be self-limiting. So it would be wise for the patient, the, 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 the caller's sister, to speak to the neurologist that is treating them yeah, and have a conversation with them as to what they should do since it is also named as a severe side effect from the vaccines. Dr. Rosani, we're going to have to leave it there. It's 8 o'clock. It's time for the news. That's Dr. Sankra Rosani, South African doctor working in Manchester, UK, giving us some interesting uh, insights from that side of the world as well.